0: We are in the middle of a series called I Choose, and this series is about choosing what is best. Because basically our lives, or where we are in our lives, we're here because of all the choices that we've made. Our lives are the sum sum total of all the decisions that we've made. Every choice has led us to where we are in this place. And so I want to do my best in this series to help us focus on what is best. Um, not what is easy, because that's what we want to do. We want to focus on what is easy, what is immediately satisfying, uh, what is pleasurable, what is comfortable. But those aren't the best things to to make decisions about. So we want to choose what is best. So every week in this series, I'm giving you two options, and I'm going to encourage you to hopefully choose what is best between those two things, these two things that compete for your time and energy. Now, I will say this. There is no more obvious choice than this week. So this week, we're going to talk about choosing discipline over regret. Hopefully, you know where this is going. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes talking about how you need more regrets in your life. I'm going to talk about how we need a little bit more discipline, how we need to make intentional choices that are going to lead us in a direction. Because like I said, the decisions you make are leading you somewhere. But for a lot of us, we make decisions that don't lead us where we want to go. We say we have these grand plans about retirement or about the future, or about making a difference, and then we choose what is easiest. We choose what something that has short-term applications for our life, but not something that's doing good for us and good for the world in the long haul. And so we want to talk about doing what is best, being disciplined. Because discipline now prevents regrets later. Discipline now can prevent regrets later. And here's why living life where you are intentionally disciplined and at least a few important things really matters. Here's why living intentionally in a few places, dis- discipline in a few places really matters. Um, because everyone in life will experience pain. Not if you agree with me. Everyone in life will experience pain. Okay, just want to make sure everyone's listening. We got kids. I got to gotta make, su- make sure we're all in the same place and not just looking at the loudest kid, um, which is probably going to be mine. So everyone's going to experience pain, okay? Someone betrays you, there's a tragic accident that happens that you can't avoid, and you, there's consequences from that. There's a medical issue, and there's bills and everything else, things you can't avoid. Um, you come home from work one day to find that your kids have found a kitten, and they are nursing it, and they are already in love, and all of a sudden you've got a cat. And you're like, why couldn't it be a puppy? And you're like, I had kittens, oh, they're the worst, why couldn't it be a dog? And so there's pain that you can't avoid all the time. But... There are a lot of times, though, where you and I have the luxury, yes, luxury, of choosing the type of pain we will go through. Because discipline hurts, but so does regret. And if discipline can help you avoid regrets, you get to choose. Am I going to choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret? The pain of discipline now or regrets later? Because, like I said, discipline hurts, whether it's getting up early in the morning, earlier in the morning, so that you have some quiet time before the day rushes in to get you to maybe read the Bible and pray. Maybe you get up early so that you can go to the gym, and you work out a little harder. You do that extra set when you don't want to do any more sets, or you run an extra lap or an extra mile when your legs are screaming at you to stop. You choose discipline. Discipline hurts. Maybe you say, you're say you saying no to that chocolate-covered dessert or that bacon-wrapped whatever, That's a painful decision. Ah, it's a painful, it's a hard thing to do. It hurts. Discipline always hurts. That's just, that's the nature of discipline. But what hurts more is regret. The regret of realizing that you had a choice to do something better. You had a choice to lead yourself in a better direction, and you missed it. Because the thing about regrets is that not only are you suffering the pain of whatever's going on, but regrets leave you with no more choices. Regrets leave you with no more decisions. You are already where you are going to be, no matter how painful it is. You are where you are. And that's what hurts the most about regrets. It's not just the pain of the moment. It's the pain of knowing that you could have been anywhere else, but you failed. And so regret hurts. So you and I have the luxury of choosing our pain. So the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to choose? And let me just say this. The younger you are, and I don't expect the kids in the, in the room to pay attention to this because I know I had people tell me this when I was younger and I didn't listen to it and I had to learn the hard way. But the younger you are, the more opportunity you have to choose the right stuff, to be disciplined and avoid regrets down the line. There's a lot of people in this room with grayer hair or less hair that wish they could grab you by the cheeks and say, listen to this, because it's too late in a lot of ways for some of us, and so we've chosen the wrong thing, so we've got to choose our pain. Are you going to choose the pain of, if you're younger, listening to your mom and dad and doing what they say because they love you and they care about you and they're trying to help you line up a better future, or are you going to disobey and suffer the pain Of the consequences later. Are you going to suffer the pain of studying for your class? Are you going to suffer the pain of retaking that class later? Are you going to take the pain of saying no to that temptation? Are you going to take the pain of trying to fight and overcome an addiction later? Are you going to say take the pain of living within your financial means, or are you going to take the pain of climbing out of a mountain of debt later? Are you going to take the pain of of getting in a fight with all your with your parents or your coaches because you don't want to try hard are you going to take the pain of losing game after game after game or are you going to choose the pain of 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 regret or the, I said that backwards are you going to choose the pain of working hard or are you going to choose the pain of of losing and regretting and and that stuff later are you going to choose the pain of getting off the couch moms and dads are you going to choose the pain of Putting in energy after a long day's work when all you want to do is collapse and spending it with your kids, going to the games, encouraging them if they're small, getting on the floor and wrestling with them. Are you going to choose that pain, which can sometimes be difficult when you want to just relax? Or are you going to choose the pain of wishing you had a better relationship with your kids later and the time's gone and they're already done with you because you didn't care early on? Are you going to choose the pain of a healthy lifestyle now or the pain of suffering from medical issues later knowing that you could have prevented them? And so you and I get to choose, and again, it's a luxury. We get to choose what pain do we prefer. And the answer seems obvious, right? I mean, theoretically speaking, we all know this, and I should be able to end my sermon right now, tack on a Bible verse, pray, and be done. We all know this, right? And yet, we are regularly people who know discipline will lead you away from regrets, and we choose the dumb thing anyway. I mean, we are regularly people who over and over again choose what is easy, what is fun, what tastes good, what's most relaxing, what's the short-term payoff rather than the long-term solution. We regularly choose the wrong thing. I've been telling myself for 10 years now that I'm going to get back in shape, <laughs> that I'm going to start running. And if you live anywhere in Loewamme, a, I don't know a sprinkling of times in that last 10 years, you've seen me running laps through town. And that was the moments where I thought, yeah, I'm going to get in shape. And Abby gets, about every spring, she sees me getting a kick, and I'm going to run, and I'll do it for like three, four days. And then I quit. And here's the thing that's weird, is I always think, I'm going to get in shape. I still believe it. I'm still convinced that one of these days, I'm going to get in shape. I mean, but 10 years have passed, and I haven't done it yet. And now I've got extra, extra motivation, because now every time I go to the doctor for my yearly physical or whatever, my blood pressure creeps up a little bit, and the doctor's like, you need exercise, you need to eat better, and it's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. You're right, doc, I knew that before you, I even came in here, and it's like, now, I wonder if my blood pressure's so high, because I'm getting nervous when they take it, like, how is it going to be this time? Like, can I just take a nap, and you can take it while I'm asleep to see if that, like, helps, but, um, And you know, every time you go to the doctor, they run you through like, what's your family history? Does anybody in your family suffer from this, this, and this? And one of the big ones that always comes up is um, there's a lot of people who are diabetic in my family tree. And I know that that's something I should, you know, be on the lookout for and watch my eating. And yet, if no one was looking, I'd walk out there right now into the fellowship hall and eat every one of them leftover donuts that no one's tackled yet. I just would because donuts are delicious. And I don't think I need to say any more about him than that. I think you should understand why I would eat all those donuts. And so there are areas in our lives where we should choose what's better, and we don't. And that's the reason why we we struggle with certain things. And this is a huge issue. And so what we're going to talk about now today, that discipline now can prevent regret later, that applies to any area of life. It applies to diet, exercise, all that stuff. Okay. And I could talk about all the examples of all the practical places in your life where we could talk about this. But the place where I want to talk about discipline today is being disciplined in our faith. I want to to talk to you and convince you, prayerfully plead with you to be people who understand that when you are disciplined in growing and pursuing a relationship with Christ, you can build a faith that is unshakable, unbreakable, immovable, no matter what life tosses your way. And yet I think there are way too many Christians investing way too little time and energy into growing in their faith and building a solid faith. And there's a lot of kind of different practices you can do that if you're disciplined about adding these things into your life, they will help you grow, help you become more mature as time goes on. Things like reading the Bible and praying. Uh, I say this all the time. We should be, we should be people who understand that we have a, it's a blessing to be able to read our Bible. Historically speaking, Christians could not just open the Bible That was not something that, historically speaking, Christians, the majority of Christians in history have had had access to. And yet we can get a Bible in any language almost, not any language, but definitely our language. You can find 20 different ways that they've figured out to write the Bible in English, and we can read it every single day in old King James, if that's what you prefer, or something that is the most laid-back, slang-type Bibles, I mean, something so easy to understand a second grader could could get through it. We have these in our hands. You've probably got one in your home, and if you've got a smartphone, I know you have access to it because there are apps aplenty that can put the Bible right in front of you, and yet we choose to not do that. And so we should be doing that. So it's, a, it's an important thing that we have access to that a lot of people don't. We should be spending more time in prayer. We should be getting up. Uh, we have the luxury to get up earlier and make time for that in our lives because I used to be somebody who got mad when someone said, you got to you gotta get up early and read the Bible. Because I used to be a night owl. And I thought, well, no, I'm better off reading at night. But you know what always happens to me when I pray at night? What happens to you? Yeah, you fall asleep, right? And I was like, I could do it at night. Dear Lord, you know, and then before I know it, I'm drooling down my face, and that's not really, I don't think, that respectful to God probably in that moment. And so there are things that we should do to add into our life to make our faith grow. We can do things like fasting. Man, I think, I'll bet fasting is one of the most underused Christian disciplines. Why? Because I already talked about donuts, right? I mean, like we know why we, we don't fast, okay? That's one of those things. Um, there are things like... Uh, Unusual things like just intentionally doing something nice and kind and loving for somebody that you don't particularly like. There's, you know, It says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There are people in your life that you aren't really that fond of, and you can go out of your way in a moment when they might need something to help them, even though they haven't been kind to you, even though they haven't been nice to you. That is a way of growing your faith, an intentional step that you can take. And yet, what do we see? Like, oh, that's too bad for them when we turn a blind eye. Um, we can volunteer you can serve in church. You can serve in various other ministries outside the church. Um, you can decide, I'm going to come to church more regularly rather than sleeping in. You can join a growth group so that you can be with other people who are earnestly pursuing growth in their faith. People who can encourage you and inspire you to walk more closely to Jesus. I mean, there are things that you and I can do that we can put into our lives that I can almost guarantee you will help your faith grow and deepen. And so I want to talk to you today. i take you to some words from the Apostle Paul who was a church planter, uh, he was a pastor who traveled all over the ancient Roman world, and he not only led people to Christ, but he helped those people plant churches all over the Roman world, and as he traveled from place to place, he would write letters back to these churches that he has planted to give them extra teaching and extra encouragement, and extra correction, if they kind of had gotten off track about um, what they believed, which happened a lot, just as it does with us. Um, and so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. If you got a Bible, grab a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, the reason it's 1 Corinthians is because Paul wrote more than one letter to this church in Corinth, Greece, um, and sometimes we read of these the names of these books: Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you know they just it sounds like Oz or Wonderland or Neverland, all these places that you know we've never even heard of, and so it sounds made up. I have actually been in Corinth, Greece. I've walked the ancient marble street into, Roman, into uh, Corinth, Greece. I've read the, the Greek inscriptions on the pillars that were toppled over time. So this is a real place. He's writing a real letter to real people. Um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, feel free to use the black hardback when near you or the verses will be on the screen. And Paul is talking about being disciplined in growing his faith so that his faith is solid. So that no matter what life tosses at him, his faith stays secure and firm. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Unless you're like me and you don't get in shape before the race. He says, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And you might say, what does this have to do with faith? Well, he's giving an example that they would all have understood about hard work and how discipline can pay off in something. Um, In Corinth, uh, every other year, they would hold, it's actually about 10 miles from Corinth, but they would hold what was called the Isthmian Games. Isthmian Games. And um, it was a big deal. It wasn't like that um, small town track meet that nobody goes to. And forgets that's there. And no offense if you run track. I ran track. No one shows up but moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, okay? It's not like a basketball game that packs the dome, okay? Uh, So I understand that. So this wasn't like that. Um, In the Roman world, this was like second only to the Olympics. It was a big, big deal. And people, they had running and boxing and wrestling and discus and a few other things. And so when he's telling this to the people in Corinth, they would have been to those games. It happened every other year. They would have been to the games. Some of them um, probably would have looked out their windows and seen people running in the streets, training. They would have seen people boxing and getting prepped for the games. Some of these people in the Corinthian church might have even been athletes who participated in the games. And he's saying, you guys know how much hard work pays off. Now, um, in the Isthmian games, what it sounds like is they didn't have gold, silver, and bronze. They just had gold. You didn't get a participation trophy or, a, you know, a power bar at the end because you ran the whole thing. You know, they didn't get, it was like, you won, and that's, if you won, you, you're the only one who got a prize. And so he's saying, you run to win. Everything we, these runners do, every single runner, they don't run to get last. They run for the number one prize because there's only one to get. And he says, in our faith, we need to run as if this is something precious on the line. We need to run all out. We need to try with all of our hearts to get the prize as if as if, we're the only, as if there's only one to be handed out and we've got to get there first to get it. And so he is encouraging us to be disciplined about our faith. And then as Paul is kind of unpacking this without even meaning to, I think, he gives us two questions that will help you be disciplined in your faith. Here's the first one. What's the prize for being disciplined? You know, why why do we read the Bible? I tell you know, I say it all the time as a pastor. Of course the pastor's gonna tell you to read your Bible and pray. Of course, the pastor's gonna tell you to get in a growth group. Why? Because well that just bumps up numbers and he can brag about having more people in, in a group than other churches or whatever. You know, of course I'm going to say that. But what does it really what's the real benefit? You know, what what's the payout in your life for doing these things, being disciplined and growing your faith? Well, he tells us this in in the next part of verse 25. He says, They do it, these runners, those athletes, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's saying that we have a prize as believers. That there is something that our faith gets us at the end of all things, an imperishable, an unbreakable, eternal prize, which is heaven. That's where our faith will ultimately lead, is to eternal, perfect life with Christ. Something that and, and eternity is something that we can't even fit in our tiny little human brains. We can just basically think, a long time. But he says those runners, they work so hard. And you know what they get? A wreath. If you've ever seen those um, old pictures of like Caesar, he's always got that crown of leaves, you know, those are laurel leaves. That's what the winner in each category of, of these games would have gotten, a crown. And they would have probably worn it and, you know, felt pretty good about themselves, which is interesting. Um, they, they did these games naked, so as not to have any clothing impeding their movement so that they would be better. So when they got that crown, that's all they were wearing, which is a sight, which is also, if there's any motivation to be in first in a race, right, I mean, so you don't have to look at everything else in front of you, so you want to be in first. <laughs> it's is true. I mean, not only do you win, but you don't have to deal with that view. And so they got this crown, right, this laurel leaf crown, and they were proud of it, but it'd rot off their head in a week. He's saying they run so hard for something that's just going to fall apart. But our faith, ideally, our faith is going to lead us to heaven, joyful, eternal life with no pain, sorrow, no suffering, no more death, mourning, crying, or pain in any form, no more f- nagging feelings of worthlessness, no more nagging feelings that no one cares about me, no more doubts of, am I good enough? For the people in my life, am I good enough of a father or a son? Why, or that nagging feeling? If you had parents who never seemed to care, that wondering, nagging of why didn't they care? Am I not a good enough human being? All of those feelings are washed away by the perfection of heaven and the presence of God's amazing love in our lives. That is what we are running for and moving for in this life, and we are moving for something that is imperable, that can in imperishable. Excuse me, that can never be taken away, and. Yet, sometimes I wonder, why do we spend so much time focusing on lesser things? Because as Christians, we all say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I want to go to heaven. And yet, by the way we live our lives, we are so much more invested in a million other things that we, again, I bet the average Christian prays maybe once a week, twice a week, would be my guess. We know that most Christians don't regularly read Scripture, I mean, we know that the average church-going Christian isn't doing a lot to invest in their faith, but yet, man, we care about all the other things. We care about our hobbies. We care about our kids' sports. We care about so many things, and those aren't bad. I'm not saying, we, I'm not saying forget your kids or anything like that. I'm just saying if we really say we believe this stuff, our lives don't always reflect that we say that we believe this stuff, and we don't care. Um, one of the areas of my life where I would say, I, the only areas of my life where I've ever been really self-controlled um, came when I was in high school, and I'm, I'm not a naturally athletic person. I tried doing basketball and, and football, and those didn't end well, okay? I don't have the coordination to put a ball in a hoop, and I don't have the size to stand up to anybody tackling me. Uh, I remember the first time we did, you know, you just line up and tackle somebody in football, and, you know, I got just flattened, and I get up, and, you know, your eyes are you know, your eyes aren't even on the same circuit anymore. And the coach is like, hey, look at me, look at me. And I'm like, he's like, uh, go get a drink. Okay, <laughs> okay, coach. You know, that. and it was like, and that was the day I realized maybe I'm not cut out for this. And so um, the things I did were well, I did track and cross country because I thought running in a straight line, I can maybe do that. There's even lines painted on the ground. Like just stay in this lane. I figured I could handle that. And so I went out for track my freshman year of high school, and they stuck me doing the hurdles because they missed, the coach must have thought I looked dumb enough to not, put up a fight about it, so he says, hey, you're doing the hurdles. Well, I learned very quickly that something that happens to hurdlers a lot is they fall down, because there's things in the way, you know? They tell you to run, and they put things in the way. That doesn't make any sense, and so um, I realized, though, that I didn't want to be the guy that falls down all the time, because in our practices, we ran with the girls track team. and I'm a freshman, you know, and there's all the sophomore, junior, senior girls there, and they're so pretty, and you don't want to be the buffoon that's just always wiping out, you know, in front of them all the time. And so my freshman year, I did not hardly practice at all. I just avoided it, and I did terribly, obviously. You know, that's that happens when you don't put any effort into it. Until the last week of my track season, because that's the time you really should invest, you know. Um, and so the coach had said something to the effect of that I was going to be the only hurdler at the, you know, big freshman, sophomore meet at the end of the year. And I thought, well, I'm the only hurdler. I guess I better, you know try a little, and so I spent a week really practicing hard, and and I went to that meet, and guess what? I did a lot better, like blew my old time out of the water, and I thought, wow, if one week made me better, I wonder what would happen if I practiced all the time, and so the next year, uh, I came out, I mean, Hard. I, I mean, I, I ran all winter. I ran uh, and lifted weights to get you know stronger and more in shape. And then when the track season actually showed up, I would stay at least an hour after practice to run over the hurdles. And uh, here's the interesting thing. You get to where you don't fall as much. And people, don't, and people start watching you, not because you're uh, falling and entertaining that way, but because you actually get good at it, and it's fun to watch somebody who's good at what they're doing. And so I, you know, I enjoy people watching me be good, and I enjoyed finally winning some races. And so, I mean, every year of track, I was the guy who was out there before everybody, and I was the last one leaving to go home, and I was disciplined. And you know what it gets me? The ability to stand up in front of you and talk about how cool I used to be. <laughs> Woo, you know? I went out and ran a lap around the track probably six years ago. And I was, like, down the first straightaway, 100 meters, and I was like, how is this track so huge? Like, did they make it bigger since I was in high school? Like, I I can't do that anymore, okay? So, I mean, it was a very short-term thing, and, and, and yet I cared so much about it, and I invested more energy and time and thought into that than I have in my faith most of the time that I've been a Christian. And you have things like that in your life that you invest in more, than, you, than your faith. And it's like, why are you investing so much in things that are temporary, and you're ignoring the things that are eternal? And so Paul is telling us that, yeah, you can spend time on your looks, and your health, and your eating, and all that, and you can care. And again, none of that stuff's bad, but why do we invest so much energy into the temporary when we've got the eternal right before us? This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What we build for in heaven, it can't be taken away. And so when it comes to being disciplined in our faith, one of the motivations is we actually look out forward, look out ahead and say, what's the prize? What am I getting? Heaven. Heaven. And it's a beautiful thing that we should not neglect, something that should get us excited. And then Paul gives us a second question, a little more scary, the second question. What happens if I'm not disciplined? What happens if I'm not disciplined? And he goes on in verse 26. He says, so, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Um, If you want to know what that means, just insert your favorite Rocky movie training montage, you know, where he's just... (laughs) And so he says, I don't run aimlessly, I'm not running without a point, I'm not boxing for no reason. He says, no, what I'm doing, the discipline I have is for a point. He says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be qualified. He says, I focus my faith hard because I don't want to spend my life preaching the gospel to people only to miss out on heaven because I got caught up in something else. And there are a thousand things in this world that are going to erode your faith, or try to erode your faith. There are a thousand temptations and fun things that want to distract you from giving any time and energy to following Christ. There are things that are going to feel important at the moment, but they're going to be temporary. And he says, you got to watch out for those. Because if you don't build your faith to make it stronger and more stable, when you get to those moments, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose your faith. And whether it's a moment of pain and exhaustion, whether it's a moment of tragedy that makes you wonder where God is, whether it's again that temptation, that addiction that wants to again distract you away, whatever it is, if you aren't working on your faith, something's going to steal it away. And you might say, "Well, come on, I why are you making this a big deal? You're sounding a little over the top, serious about this. I mean, I come to church, I, I you know, I read the Bible every now and then, I pray." You know when the moment comes. I I I know churchy thinks why is this such a big deal? I feel like what I have is enough, and what you have right now, your faith right now might be enough. But Paul's not talking about right now. He's talking about later, when the hard moments come. He's talking about later when you feel despair, when you feel heartache. He talks about later when you're you know way in over your head with life. Is your faith going to be strong enough to hold up then? That's the worry. The worry is that at the end of time, in the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and you're going to miss out on heaven. And you're going to have to stand there with a heart of regret knowing, I I was on the right path. I was here once. I I was on the way to heaven. I believed in Jesus and something stole that away from me. And you will spend eternity with regret. In fact, I think one way that hell will be painful is from the eternal regret we're going to feel of missing it. And there's plenty of times where Jesus says, people think they got salvation, but they don't. And that should scare us as believers, to think that we might call ourselves Christians and still end up in hell. And that sounds heavy, and that sounds scary, but yeah, that's what's at stake. And we should ask ourselves, what happens if I don't take my faith seriously? What might happen if I don't treat this as an eternal life or death situation? Is that at the end of time, you might end up living eternity Not with Christ, not with joy, not with peace, but with regret. And so, I don't want you to be that person. I don't want you to have an undisciplined faith that can be wiped out and destroyed by anything. Um, One thing thing I remember reading in college, it was so powerful. um, C.S. Lewis, very prolific Christian writer, wrote a ton of stuff, Chronicles of Narnia, one of the great Christian books of probably the 20th century, Mere Christianity. He wrote a lot of amazing stuff. He was this guy that people thought was this faith giant, and towards the end of his life, his wife got cancer and she died. And There's a book now that you can get um, that is kind of his diary, essentially, that he wrote while he was mourning her loss. And The first two chapters of that book, there's only four, the first two chapters are some of the most despairing words you will ever read And the second two chapters are him kind of recovering and coming out of that grief a little bit. And and he kind of says her death obliterated his faith. And he says but you know what if my faith faith was such a house of cards that losing one person would, would destroy it the better it got knocked down so that I could build something stronger and something more real. And you know, you see somebody like C.S. Lewis who writes these books, that, and everyone really thought was this, like, king of the faith, and he says, my faith with a house of cards, and and it makes me question, you know, how, yeah, things are good for me now, and yeah, of course I can stand up under the weight of strain and suffering, but until you get there, you don't know, and so I want to train myself, and I want you to train yourself so that you take this seriously, so that your faith is something, that you know every day that you've invested in, something you know you've done all that you could to plant your feet firmly on Christ so that life can't just take it all away. Because I don't want you to be people who spend eternity in regret. And Jesus doesn't want that. That's why he came into the world and died for you so that you could have eternity in heaven. So choose your pain. You're going to choose the pain of discipline because discipline's hard. When that alarm clock goes off, you know, I'm going to be honest, looking at the back of your eyelids and drifting off seems a lot better than opening up the Bible. I've been there too. And so you got to choose your pain. What's the pain you want? Do you want the pain of discipline now or the pain of regret later? And again, it's true of every area of your life. You can apply this to your workouts and whatever, but, but it really does apply to your faith. And what makes it even a little bit bigger is because when it comes to following Christ, the pain of discipline is temporary, but the pain of regret is eternal. And so we have got to take it seriously. Let's pray. Father, thank you for discipline. Sometimes we are not disciplined people. And that's, that's okay to not be naturally disciplined. But that doesn't mean we can't understand the, the weight of discipline. That doesn't mean we can't, can't understand what's at stake. And what's at stake is eternity for us. And we don't want to be people who let life steal our faith. We don't want to be people who let temptations and, and sinful things steal us away from you. Lord, we all know people who used to sit in these pews with us. People who used to sit right beside us, sing the songs, read the verses, and they're not here anymore. And it's because life got hard, or life got too fun, or they found something else to care about, and their faith has kind of been taken away from them. They've given up on it in pursuit of other things. And I hope, Father, that that not only breaks our hearts for those people, but it scares us a little bit to see how easily faith can be taken from us when we don't invest in it. How easily our faith can be robbed from us when we aren't disciplined enough to pursue growing in you. And not only is it something to be disciplined about, Father, but there is a, it is joyful. As we grow closer to you, we find more joy in this world. We find more peace in this world. We find more hope in this world. And the closer we get to you, the better eternity looks. The more eager we can look forward to heaven. Because we get more and more of an idea of what it's going to be like. And so, Father, help us to not be people who are here now and gone in five years, given up on faith, pursuing anything else. Help us to see the benefit. Help us to see what's at stake. Help us to understand the joy of heaven, the perfection of heaven is beautiful, and that the risk of hell is not worth it. Help us to be people who pursue you every single day. Help us to not see discipline as a nasty, bad word, but help us to understand that you've given us a gift to choose our pain and that choosing discipline now, the pain of discipline now, is infinitely better than suffering the pain of regret later. We pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.